I must make a choice every day who is going to rule and reign on the throne of my heart. Mark it down. You will either surrender to King Jesus and know him as your king, or you will be crushed by his kingdom and only know him as your judge. Every moment of the day, there is a battle for which king is going to sit on the throne. And it is impossible for King me and King Jesus to occupy the throne at the same time. The kingdom nation that lives on the inside of me battles for control against King Jesus that wants to bring his kingdom right here, right now. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, senior pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Did you know there's a battle raging in your heart? The Bible teaches that all people are born with a sin nature that wants to throw God off the throne and take control themselves. And is it any wonder then that the Bible says in Psalm 2 that the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? While there's a sense of a collective battle against God, each individual must choose for himself who stays on the throne. Today, in the conclusion of the message, We Are a Holy Nation, we'll hear how God responds to hearts that rage against Him and how kingdom citizens should respond as well. Here's Pastor Trent. I want you to turn over to Psalm chapter 2, okay? Psalm chapter 2, because Psalm chapter 2 gives us an understanding of how we as a holy nation can live in an unholy nation. Now, I want you to notice here, it's First verse here is even kind of a description of the headlines here. Let's read it beginning in um, Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage? Underline that word rage. Anybody ever see on the news any nations raging lately? Any, any enraged people in a nation? Well, guess what? It's not new. As a matter of fact, all unholy nations characteristically are raging out of control. Chaos and calamity all around because they have declared war on God. So here's what we're gonna learn today. First of all, the nations are raging. Can I get an amen on that? The nations are raging. So how can we as a holy nation live in this raging nation? It goes on in Psalm 2 verse one. Why do the nations rage? The peoples plot in vain and the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. What a description of what's going on in our culture even right now. There was a time when there, were, there was a high percentage, who knows the percentage exactly, but a high percentage of people that would identify with Christ, call themselves Christians, and attempt to live a life that was governed 
by our holy King Jesus. And that was true in America. America was, was founded by many men who proclaimed Christ and, and had seminary degrees. 52 out of the 55 signers of the Declaration of Independence were, were born-again Christians and were unapologetic about that. And so we see all kinds of, of religious history and Christian history. You visit Washington, D.C., and you find Scripture on the monuments and on the national treasures there because the men that founded our country understood we do not want to declare war on God. But here we are 240 years later and we've watched the progression. We've watched our country go from a, a group of people that believe the gospel to maybe a group that at least respected Christians and respected the mission of the gospel. But then time passed and it's as if they didn't want to respect. They just kind of tolerated Christians and that's fine, you just kind of do your thing over there. But it's gone even from tolerating Christians to now hating and raging against Christians and maybe even eliminate this message of Christ, which is so divisive. And it's because the nations have declared war on God and those who are citizens of his kingdom end up bearing the brunt of their rage. So the nations are raging. What are they raging against? Here, here are four things I just kind of thought of as, as we think about. What are, they, what are they raging against? Why are they so upset? Why are they so mad? Well, they are raging against objective truth, transcendent truth, moral boundaries that were given to us outside of time and space by a holy God to say, if you live within these boundaries, you'll be safe. But it's as if no one wants to listen to truth anymore. And now we're living in an age where people even deny the existence of truth. And truth can be whatever you want it to be. And we even see that here in the scripture when it says the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel. It's as if they gather together in boardrooms or, or the halls of Congress or the Oval Office and they scratch their heads and say, what do you think the rules should be? And they're rewriting the rules because they're no longer listening to objective truth. It didn't used to be that way. In 1787, the Constitutional Convention was going on there in Philadelphia and Representatives from the 13 collieries were trying to hammer out the Constitution. What would our rules be? And, and it looked as if the whole union was going to dissolve even before the Constitution was passed. In the midst of the fussing and the fighting and the raging and the arguing, a man named Benjamin Franklin interrupted the convention. And he said this, the longer I live, by the way, he was 81 at the time. The average age, the average age of an adult male that died was 42 at the time. He was 81, and though not a believer himself, this is what he said, the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? Answer, no. no. 
We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it, quoting from Psalm 127. And then he said this, I therefore move that prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business. You know what he was saying? We're not smart enough to figure this out. We need God. Well, that's the way our nation was begun. And here we are 240 years later, and the nation is raging against someone that would stand and declare that we need to pray. And so the nations are raging against objective truth, and the nations are increasingly raging against religious freedom. Right now in California, state lawmakers are considering a bill that would penalize Christian colleges and universities that quote unquote, would deny equal rights or opportunities on the basis of gender identity, gender expression, or sexual orientation. If that law were to be passed, it would shut down or completely strip those schools of the right to teach a biblical worldview, especially on marriage and sexuality. And it would outlaw them if they did. That's the kind of environment that we're living in politically. They're raging against religious freedom and they're raging against the exclusivity of Christ. Look at it here in the second part of verse two. It says they're raging against the Lord and against his anointed. The word anointed there is actually in the Hebrew, the word that was translated into the word Christ. It's a, it's a, it's a marker to the anointing of the king, Samuel, anointed King Saul. And it was a precursor to the fact that God the Father would anoint his son Jesus to be the descendant of King David and to be the king of this kingdom. And so they're raging against the exclusivity of Christ and then they're, they're raging against all moral boundaries. Notice it in verse three, let us burst their bonds apart. Let us cast away their cords from us. They want absolute autonomy. They want absolutely no bar- barriers, no borders on their behavior, especially when it comes to sexuality. And they want no one to determine for them what is right and wrong. They want to burst those bonds and live in complete sexual freedom instead of valuing what God considers holy in marriage and in gender and for our children and for our families and for the next generation and for the nation itself. And yet... That's the raging that's going on against all kinds of moral boundaries. Here's the second thing. God is laughing while the nations are raging. Look at it here in verse four. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying, as for me, I have set my king. And it's not you. Who is it? It's Jesus, the King of Kings. I I have set my King on Zion, my holy hill. So yeah, the nations are raging, but do you think God is stressed out about that in any way? 
Uh, no, he is not. As a matter of fact, it says that, that he's laughing. It's one of the few places in the Bible that we see God laughing. There's another place in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 24 through 26, and he says this, Because I have called you and you refuse to listen. I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity and I will mock when your terror comes. Now, it's not that God finds it comical. It's just that he finds it ridiculous that people would stand against him. It, it's like this. A couple of weeks ago, uh, my youngest son, Scott, um, was out in the backyard playing with two of his cousins. So 11-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old, and they challenged me and Uncle Chris to a football game. And Uncle Chris and I, I mean, we're, we're, we're a little bit past our athletic prime, but, um, you know, so we're, we're sitting there eating ice cream and watermelon, and that was kind of the sport that we enjoyed best. And, and we were enjoying that, so we just kind of put them off, and we was like, I don't want to go out there. It's kind of hot, sticky, and it's like, I don't want to do that. And But they, they, eventually they started talking trash to us. They're like, you're scared of us, aren't you? You, you don't think you can compete. You, we're going to crush you. Well, that motivated Uncle Chris and I to go out into the backyard and to play a little football, okay? So it was three against two. And you know what? We actually let them complete a few passes. We actually let them score a couple of touchdowns. But when it came down to it, the more they talked trash, the harder we began to tackle them. And the more precise we began to throw our footballs, and the more they got stiff-armed in the dust, until at the end of the game, they're all bellyaching, bruised, and bleeding, and Chris and I are sitting back laughing at them, laying in the dirt, okay? I think that's kind of the sense that God has when he laughs at people that challenge him and think that they have some kind of superior might and superior wisdom. God just laughs knowing it is not going to end well for you. The victory has already been secured. Here's five things that make God laugh. Attitudes of superiority. Pride and arrogance and an inflated opinion of our intellect or our creativity or our ingenuity that somehow thinks we don't need God anymore. And so where you find countries that are proud and you find leaders of nations that are proud and arrogant, dictators and tyrants, you will find God setting himself against them. Attitudes of superiority and assertions of power somehow thinking that because of our technology or our military or our economic prowess, that somehow we're more powerful than God. And affirmations of autonomy. Autonomy means I don't need anybody or anything. I just need me and I just need what I have. And affirmations of autonomy are things that get a good belly laugh from God. Because as a creator, he knows how much we need him. And those that say we don't need God, and some of us even in this room, we demonstrate that autonomy because we don't pray. If you go through your life prayerless, what you're basically saying is, I don't need God. And God's laughing at you because you don't recognize how much you need him. America 
was born as it declared its independence from a king. America may die declaring its independence from the king of kings. We must not see ourselves as autonomous or accusations of indifference. Sometimes people ball up their fist in the face of God and they think, God, where were you when this tragedy happened? And God, if you loved us, you wouldn't have let this happen. And God, you must not be good or you must not be in control. Listen, God laughs at those kinds of accusations. Understanding that God is there and God does care is what sends us in prayer to him. And God laughs at assumptions of invincibility. Somehow to think that because we're Americans and we've lasted this long, we're probably not a threat to God and there's probably not another threat out there that could take us down. And yet when we read that it is the Lord that terrifies them in his fury, God is still on his throne and God has a king that can take down any ruler or any kingdom. So, the nations are raging, God is laughing. Here's the third thing, the king is reigning, amen? I mean, it was kind of depressing up until this point, right? I mean, come on, the king is reigning. Look at it in verse seven. I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Now, wait a minute, are we in the Old Testament here? Has Jesus yet been born? And here we are reading as a reference to the Trinity. God the Father has a son that he says will sit on a throne. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. That's one of the most quoted Old Testament verses in the New Testament. You can study that later. Verse 8 says, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Sounds a little violent, doesn't it? Is Jesus violent? Sometimes he needs to be violent with me. Lest you think that this is a message about America and it's raging against God, the kingdom that you should be most concerned with and the king you should be most concerned with is the kingdom of your heart and King me that always wants to sit on the throne. Because the truth is, there is a little king inside of me that is always raging against God. It's a battle for control in the territory of my heart. There's a battleground going on constantly. And even for those of us that have surrendered to Christ and we've made him our king until God gives us a new body and we are with him in the kingdom every moment of the day, there is a battle for which king is going to sit on the throne. And it is impossible for King me and King Jesus to occupy the throne at the same time. The kingdom nation that lives on the inside of me battles for control against King Jesus that wants to bring his kingdom right here, right now. And each of these kingdoms, King Jesus and, and King me, both of them hold out promise. King me holds out promise of happiness if I will live outside of his boundaries. 
King Jesus holds out promise of happiness and security if I live inside his boundaries. The kingdom of Jesus is greater and more glorious than the kingdom of me. And that's what I have to preach to myself every day. Get off the throne, surrender, and be loyal to King Jesus. My kingdom is filled with worry, anxiety, and fear. His kingdom is filled with peace, joy, and righteousness. My kingdom must continually be crushed by his rod of iron. My kingdom must continually be dashed into pieces like a potter's vessel every day, lest I would somehow try to gain control of that throne again. And so I understand that I must make a choice every day who is going to rule and reign on the throne of my heart. Mark it down. You will either surrender to King Jesus and know him as your king, or you will be crushed by his kingdom and only know him as your judge. But the choice is up to you. Which kingdom is going to get control in your heart? The king is reigning. And here's the fourth thing. Kingdom citizens are safe. Look at verse 10. It says, now therefore, O kings, be wise. Who's he talking to? Um, he's talking to that little king on the inside of you. Uh, be wise, O king, which king you choose. Be wise, O kings. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. So in this kingdom citizenship, we're a holy nation. We're a royal priesthood. What did those priests do as they stood in the gap between the unholy and the holy? Do you know what they did? They served the Lord. And as a royal priesthood, what are we going to do as we live among the raging nations, as we wait one day for our king to come? Here's what we do. Serve the Lord. Quit bellyaching about how hard it is to live in this kingdom. Join the rest of the citizens of the kingdom, 95% of them that have ever existed, have lived in a nation hostile toward what they believe. You don't have home field advantage anymore. So don't give up. Keep serving the Lord. Don't let any resistance or hostility keep you from loving him and serving him and proclaiming him. Do it with humility and sincerity and unashamed passion in light of the fact that he has been a servant to you. Our high priest serves us and ultimately served us on the cross when he offered himself as the sacrifice to atone for sin. So what are you waiting for? What's your excuse? Serve the Lord. What area of kingdom responsibility did you carry this week? How did you represent him to those that have not yet known his holiness? And then this, it says, rejoice with trembling. Only in a kingdom citizen would you ever find those two words existing at the same time. Rejoicing and trembling. We don't bury our head in the sound. We're not... Pollyannas that think it's not hard. 
and, and that there's dangers and threats out there, but we rejoice because we are living for the day when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord. I was trying to think of, of a time that I'd actually seen somebody rejoice with trembling. And I actually saw it many times this week as I watched the Olympics. Have you seen any of those Olympic athletes that expend every ounce of energy? They've trained for this for three years. They finally get to the race and they win the gold medal and they fall exhausted, trembling. And yet they rejoice that they've won gold. That's our attitude. We are victorious and yet we are exhausted. We're victorious and yet sometimes there's some things that make us a little afraid. But we rejoice with trembling. And then he says this. It says, kiss the son. Love the son. His name is Jesus, the son of God. Love him with an unashamed adoration. I went to a wedding this past week and one of my friends got married and there was always the climactic moment, right? Where the one officiating the wedding says, you may now kiss the bride. And up until that moment, it's always kind of formal and you gotta get dressed and you gotta wear a tie and you gotta be, you have to whisper, you know, it's cause it's a formal moment. But when the kiss is planted, what happens? Everybody cheers, everybody relaxes and says, I affirm this. And you know what? The bride and the groom just start slobbering all over in front of everybody. They are unaware that anybody else is in the room. Why? Because there is a love relationship that has been building and it has finally culminated in this moment when they declare their covenant love to one another. What are we to do while the nations rage? We're to be kissing the sun. Not in a romantic sloppy kiss, but in an affirmation of the covenant love he's demonstrated toward us and us back to him. Love the son. And then finally this, take refuge in him. Here's the good news. Blessed is, are all who take refuge in him. You can live safe as a kingdom citizen in an unholy nation, as a royal priesthood, because anytime you want to, you can go boldly and directly to access the Holy of Holies, the throne room of God, to ask boldly whatever you need. Take refuge in him. The truth of the matter is you're going to take refuge somewhere because as this nation becomes more unholy and things spin more out of control, you're going to run somewhere for refuge. You've got to choose. Are you going to run to the treasures of this earth? Are you going to run to the next presidential candidate that maybe can pass a few laws that might be a little favorable to us? Are you going to go to mom and dad? Are you going to, are you going to trust in your IRA? Is that where you're going to find security and refuge? You have to choose. Who's going to sit on the throne? and who your refuge will be.
Even while the nations rage against God and His throne, a kingdom citizen finds refuge, joy, and strength in living for and worshiping King Jesus. Well, I'm so glad you've joined us today, and I hope you'll come back next week as Pastor Trent continues in the Kingdom Citizen series with a message on what it means to be a purchased people. I'd also like to invite you to one of our weekend worship services on one of our two campuses in Granger, Indiana, or St. Joseph, Michigan. Our Granger campus meets Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our St. Joseph, Michigan campus meets Sundays at 10 a.m. Find out more about our campus locations and about our church when you visit harvestgranger.org. If you visit us, be sure to stop by our guest reception and let us know you heard about us on Resonate. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus, and I hope God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger, harvestgranger.org.